Hello, everyone. And you know what? I was, I was thinking about this. It is vital to have a voracious appetite for what you create. Art for artists, music for musicians, film for filmmakers, and reading for writing. Not that I'm drawing any comparisons between each creative field, but I have often found that auteurs in these fields have a near encyclopedic knowledge of the field and what creations have come before their own. Dipping my toe only slightly into this racket, I'd say podcasting is no different. I am first and foremost a fan of podcasts. And most of you know by now that I will happily name drop my influences. Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Daniele Bolelli's History on Fire, Stephen West's Philosophize This, and Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. I know I said history three times in the same sentence, four, if you count this aside. And try as I might, hints and techniques and ideas from these influences always seem to sneak through rather ostentatiously, despite even my best attempts at revision and self-censorship. However, there is a whole other branch of podcasting that has exerted a great influence upon me, and that is the long-form discussion, the interview-based style of podcasting. Joe Rogan's is the most famous example of the format. However, there is a show and particularly a host who serves as a wellspring of thought for me as I formulate a response and critique and defense for his ideas and those of his guests. And that is Thaddeus Russell in the Unregistered Podcast. And there is a particular through line of thought throughout the show that I think comes to fruition in my own show in this particular episode. The credentials, the social status, whatever it may be of the guest, doesn't matter. As long as they have something interesting or at least something challenging to say, it is worth talking to them. It is worth the act of going through the argument. That is something I have been chasing with the guest I have had on the show. Something that I hope I could give you a similar effect. Something similar that Thaddeus Russell and his guests have upon me for you. So go again to our website, dirtyhistorypod.com, and go to the About page. There will you, you will see the, the guiding structure of what we talk about on this show. And I wanted to take those principles and use them this week to evaluate how we educate the average everyday citizen about history, and really how we educate anyone in the public school system. That said, this week I am joined by a guest... Mr. Mark Alisco, he served as a history teacher, an administrator, a college instructor, and now he's running for office in local government in his retirement. We discuss the education system, the merits of history as a field of study, how we teach it, and the overlap between education and the local, go- and local government. I hope this episode challenges you to disagree with either Mark or I or both and formulate a response or critique or a defense because that is learning in one of its purest forms. Think about what we're talking about. We recorded this episode on a sunny and extremely hot day at a place I thought I'd have a kryptonite-like reaction to, a political campaign headquarters, sparse, functional, very Spartan-looking. It was during the sound check that the microphones picked up so much ambient noise that we had to turn off the air conditioning. We sweated, we laughed, we drank a lot of water, and enjoyed a conversation on the struggle of education and the art of history. 
There are a few passing cars and bumps on the table that the microphone picked up as Mark was a very energetic guest. But sometimes you have to travel for an interview and you lose the luxuries of your own office. That said, thank you for learning that which you shouldn't in my conversation with Mark Alisco. I'm Thomas Thompson, and this is Dirty History. Three, two, one, and we're live. How's it going, Mark? Hey, Thomas. It's Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, I uh, I really enjoy doing these things. You know, yeah. it's not so much that we're talking about politics today. We're talking about uh, things that I've been a part of for 35 years, as a as a teacher, principal, and a, a instructor at uh, Butler College. You know, I've always had a, a great love of history my entire life. Um, and when I sat up there at the um, Historical Society, and you made your uh, and, and you made your um, uh, that show that you put on up yeah. there, and I, it struck a chord with me. I was so impressed by it, and I was impressed by you and what you do. I love to see young guys have that great, great desire to teach and, and to teach history. It's becoming a lost art. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And that's really why I wanted to have you on the on the show because typically. You know, we've had uh, professors on and various experts in the field. We've talked about specific topics within history, mm-hmm. but we've ne- I've never taken a moment, sat down, and talked about the actual practice of bringing history to the general public, to people sure. in general, which is what any kind of high school teacher does. It's what I went to school for. That's where I think you could really get the most work done in transmitting history or important concepts to the public. So... I need to kick off our conversation. You noticed the John Locke book I got this thing uh, weighing on. And um, I was reading it uh, actually this morning before I came on and talked to you. And uh, he was saying essentially that where the society is dissolved, government cannot remain. And this is what I think is uh, pretty interesting considering you're now running for mayor in uh, the city of Newcastle, which is where I'm from for the time being, soon to be gone, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, but you I was can going, always come back. Yeah, I can always come back. You can always come back. But what I found was that you could probably argue that an inefficient education system or a loss entirely of education could be integral to the stagnation and eventual disintegration, dissolution of society. Sure. Which means that a government would largely disappear, couldn't remain if there's no society for it to govern. Correct. And I think that's where I want to kick off this conversation because you've had experience as an educator – and um, hopefully if everything goes well and experience as a legislator and a mayor sure. of the town, then you would be serving in government. Because if yes. the education system is broken, if it is, mm. there would be no, uh, there'd be no office for you to take if society was to uh, disappear. This, well, there's no question about that. And you know, I think everybody takes the wrong approach. They think that the uh, uh, city leaders, state leaders, uh, federal leaders are your, are, are your leaders. And mm-hmm. they actually have it in reverse. Yeah. They're not. The leaders of the community are the residents and the citizens. They're the ones that you rule or you govern by their majority vote. Mm. So therefore, they are your bosses. Yeah. Uh, when I was a principal of school, I had one boss. If I'm successful in this mayor's race, I'll have, uh, what, 24, 25,000 bosses. Mm-hmm. That's the way you have to look at it. You are a servant to them. But what you're saying is very, very true. If you have uh, anarchy, you don't have government. Yeah. Exactly. Anywhere in history that you that you study that, 
if your society degrades into anarchy, the government is no longer, it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. It doesn't exist. It can't provide anything. Um, but you, you did make a comment that I'd like to expand on. What you talked about was uh, the failure of schools. And that's a, uh, and I know you don't agree with that. That's, that's, a, um, that's the dogma of many state and federal mm -hmm. legislatures, and they're wrong. Okay. The public school system is an extremely successful institution. They like to use it as a whipping toy. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, for instance, you know, they put all of these testing uh, procedures in it, and they go by the test scores, and they're the ones that, that, and the results of the test scores determine how well you're doing. Um, that's a false test. Yeah. It doesn't determine how you're doing. Because the public school system does much more than math and science and reading and things like that. It does much more than that. It provides a social aspect that is essential to growth, essential. Yeah. It's, it provides inspiration mm -hmm. to students uh, by the teachers, by the people that, that they come upon every single day. Those things is, is an essential part of learning, but it can't be measured. Yeah. You can't measure that. There are courses that I've had in college that I've received D's in. Yeah. I learned so much in many, of those, in many of those classes, not only from the content, because my knowledge was negligible prior, yeah. but on, not only from the content, but also from the inspiration gained by the teachers and professors that I've mm -hmm. had. Because the best teacher, you know what they do? They, give you an, they inspire you to learn more. Yeah. So when I get a textbook and I'm teaching... Uh, World War II, okay? a standard textbook in our public schools. Yeah. And it says, December 7th, 1941, what's that day? Everybody raises their hand. Mm -hmm. Japan attacks Pearl Harbor, right? Yeah. But now if a teacher tells you, yes, that's true. But here's the question. You know what the most essential question to that is? What is that? Why? Okay, yeah. No, Why'd they do it? Yeah. You mean to tell me they got these bunch of pilots, they didn't have anything to do, on a Sunday morning at 8 o'clock on December 7th, hey, guys, I don't got nothing to do. I got a great idea. Just for kicks, it's going to bomb Pearl Harbor. No. Obviously not, yeah. Obviously not. But, but if, if you ask students that, if you ask that person on the street, what's December 7th, 1941? Mm -hmm. Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Well, ask them why. Mm -hmm. They won't know. 9-11, okay? Okay. 9-11. You yeah. got 19 hijackers. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows 9-11. There's not a person out there that doesn't know about 9-11. Ask them why they did it. Yeah. They had a reason. I'm not saying that reason right. Please okay. don't get yeah. me wrong. No, no, no. I I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't embrace or, or agree with their reasons, but I know what their reasons were. Yeah. And if you study it, then you get a better understanding of, who, uh, of history and why they act, why people and nations act the way they do. Yeah. And it's essential for us to understand that because this is a global community. Now, that whole... Um your points there raise just a couple of questions. We were talking originally about the dogma coming from the states and federal government about schools being a failure, which yeah. I think is interesting because yeah. they deem that by the tests they give, mm -hmm. which are in and of themselves part of the reason why schools are perceived to be failing. Yeah. We are teaching sure. to some sort of test that really does not test any kind of specific knowledge. Actually, it's a, it's a failing kind of assessment. It teaches you how to take multiple choice questions. Exactly, exactly. That's what it does. You know, when you, That's not let, education. Let's say, you go to the, let's say you go to the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And you only do uh, your curling, right? Mm -hmm. You get really, really good at curling. 
that's all you're good at. That's yeah. all your. That's all where. It's only where your strength applies is in that specific workout, doing that specific thing. Correct. Same with doing crosswords or whatever. It doesn't make you smarter. It makes you better at doing crosswords. Mm -hmm. So if your entire schooling is to just take a multiple choice chest test, that's what you do. Doesn't make you smarter. Doesn't it makes you, you better at taking a test. Sure. Which no, no question. What is the purpose for school? I mean, I subscribe yeah. to Dewey, who says it's a social institution. It that is. Gets, the, gets you ready to be yeah. uh, an effective citizen. No question. Then De Dewey's correct in there. I, I, I believe that. But where in being a citizen is the importance of taking a test, you know? How does yeah. that prepare you for, let's say, a primary role of being a citizen is voting in an election? Mm -hmm. It's harder to look at all of the issues and take them apart and have a critical analysis, ask why certain things are happening, if you did not have that kind of exposure in school. Would you argue that the main exposure for that kind of reasoning, critical analysis, largely comes in the field of history? No doubt. I would agree. And, and my whole basis of education was because of history. And I'm going to explain that in a, in, in a second. But take the test. The, the, the idea, the importance in learning in taking a test is not the test itself. Mm -hmm. It's the preparation and the, and the dedication that, that it takes yeah. prior to the test that pays off in life. Uh, for you to take a test, you have to prepare for that test, and you have to take the dedication to sit down and prepare for the test. Okay. That takes a disciplined person. Mm -hmm. Discipline builds character. Character builds productive members of our society. Okay. Okay. So, um, if if you talk about the importance of history, and I, and and I count it as a forgotten art. Yeah. I do. Um, and and if it, and, and we're going to go there about about how we teach history in a second. But if if you take about if you think about history, what does history do? Okay, it gives you an understanding of the past, yeah. even though it's a rudimentary, basic understanding. Okay. Okay, but then what you have to do is when you sit down and you think about it, you have to speak about it. You learn articulation skills. Yeah. Then the most tests a good history teacher isn't going to give you is they'll give you a couple multiple choice questions. Mm -hmm. Mainly, it's going to be essay. Yeah. So what's essay bring you? You have to you have to remember what you've learned. Mm -hmm. You have to put it down in, in in a fashion that's chronological that's going to make sense. Yeah. And it has to defend the position in most cases. Mm -hmm. That's the essence of learning. Yeah. Because if you take those attributes right there, it is. It is absolutely relates to every avenue of industry, every single avenue. If you can't write down your thoughts, if you can't analyze critically, and if you can't articulate, where are you going? Not many places. Not many places. <laughs> <laughs> Not many places. Um, I have to tell you, when I was a student, I was a below average student. Then I walked into a seventh grade classroom, and the name of the teacher was Mr. Gene Desch. One of the most inspirational, greatest men I've ever come across in my life. Okay. And, and the reason he was so good was because he taught history from a human part of it. And he discussed, when he discussed history, and he was a tremendous speaker, when he discussed history, he discussed how human beings suffered from the decisions that were made. Okay. And he was excellent at it. He made it, he made it human. Yeah. It, it, you realize that these people in the past actually had lives. They were just like you and me, mm -hmm. and they were swept up into the tides of history. And it was, it, it was earth-shattering to me yeah. because it gave me a, a, a tremendous interest in it, and I carried it throughout my life. 
um, when I went to Youngstown State, I, I majored in history. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the professor, and Eugene Desch was such a good teacher that he was as good as the experts that I had in yeah. the field. Mm -hmm. When uh, And I'm sure you did it at Slippery Rock. Yeah. When I was at YSU, when, I, when we had Asian civilization, I had Dr. Wong. Okay. When I had the Balkans, I had Dr. Kolchecki. When I had the French Revolution, I had Dr. Slavin. I had guys that were experts in that area. Okay. So they gave you a, a tremendous understanding. Not only did you have to have an understanding of the period, you had to understand the whys, mm -hmm. you had to be able to defend the positions, and you had to be able to articulate and write those positions. It's, it's the essence of learning. Yeah. It's the essence. Now, the one thing I took away from that that I want to kind of uh, go into yeah, a little bit. you write it down like I no, do. No, um, <laughs> when you were talking about how you are, were uh, at times – considered a below average student right mm -hmm. how yeah. in what way i uh well it, was it the that, test was it you know you got your test well, scores I, back I think, I think bad marks or whatever not so much the test scores it was just that i, I think kids mature mm -hmm. at different levels my maturity level was not uh where, where it should have been until yeah. i was in late junior high school mm -hmm. high school um and i just became an average student yeah but by the time i got to college i was at, uh, i was at a mature level that i was able to to excel if yeah. you will. but i wasn't that way in my formal education but they gave me the basic understanding of being able to su to succeed yeah. on a higher level of learning mm -hmm. and i had some great inspirational teachers that even though i was i may have been bored but i was inspired by their dedication yeah. and how important that learning was to them and I remembered that as I got older and more mature. No, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. The reason I ask in the first place is, again, I was listening to another podcast, and they were going on about um, testing, specifically the LSAT, the one to get in the law school, and how a lot of tests are timed, mm -hmm. right? And um, why would you time a test was the yeah. question. And they were looking at um, competitive chess. It was like a metaphor, right? Yeah. And usually there's like three different kinds of chess. There's something called puzzle rust, then there's blitz, and then there's just the regular run-of-the-mill, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The regular one, you have 90 minutes to make a move each move. Long time to Long make a chess time. move. All right, and I'm then, not going to watch that. No, no. And then in Blitz, it's like 30 minutes to make a move. And then puzzle rush, is like the f puzzle rush is like the final move in the game. Mm -hmm. Each one of those is a completely different champion, like the top guy. Top oh, yeah. guy. That's interesting. Well, why? Do you not play chess? No, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not much of a player of yeah. chess. I play, but I'm not that yeah. level. But, uh, of course. But why would each different kind of game of chess... Why does that have a different champion? You think the guy who can dominate in 90-minute chess could dominate in 30-minute chess could dominate in the final move? Because they're experts in different areas. It's the, yeah, and it's the timing. It's the mm -hmm. different. Uh, it's the, oh, ru time. It's the sure. rush you have to put upon yourself to get done on the, a certain time period. Yes, that's a great point. Which I point. think is a lot of what testing is. Why are we testing at you have 60 minutes to complete the test? Mm -hmm. Well, the kid who gets the A there and the kid who gets the F there, well, what happens if you give that kid two hours yeah is he going to become the champion in that form of testing exactly and i think that's, that's a where great point. yeah a lot of schools kind of a lot of teachers i think could apply that principle by um i know in my classroom for at least i provide choice mm -hmm. like I'm, so we have the review before the test right mm -hmm. if i do a test it's mostly projects but i'd give them cho i give them choices you could take a 50 choice multiple choice day of the test that's what you want to do or you could write these essays right or you could take home a 100 question test yes or you Very could good. do the online yeah. one and then you give you get yeah. each different um learning ability because you can age. gauge how much they've learned by regardless of what, what choice they make yeah you can still gauge what they've learned and they all give you different timelines yeah. different time periods and different levels of stress on top mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. so 
that I think applies directly into how I can teach history because some subjects might be a little harder to apply those principles mm -hmm. but history in itself I think is a highly original subject when you're looking within the curriculum at a school right? yes we place a lot of significance on math reading and what have you yes. for testing and, and we should M math math mm -hmm. sciences should be emphasized. yeah we're not saying it's but but my argument has always been as administrator is that yes they should be emphasized but not at the expense of the humanities not at that's not I expense. To. I think that the yeah, history, the teaching of history and the humanities should be on an even par with math and science. Mm -hmm. That was my whole argument in my entire career, whenever the PSSA yeah. test came out. But are they? No. 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 And and it was upsetting to me. And it, we agreed really that was. history gives you those crucial critical thinking skills for things and once you want to be a good citizen, uh, daily life, voting in an election, whatever it may be. It's but essential. yet we are marginalizing that subject in favor of these other subjects. So could you speak on how in what way you think that is damaging? Yeah, I, 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 which way I think is damaging? Yeah, I, I will. I, I will speak on that because if let, let's take the concept of war. Okay. Okay. Take the concept of war. How easily it seems. Not so much today, but in the past. Take World War II, okay. which I know I'm a big history buff on World War II, and I know you. Most of too. America is. <laughs> you know, the most industrialized, civilized nation at that time was Germany, especially in Europe. They Germany were, was a powerhouse. They were, they were intellectually far and above almost every other nation in Europe. And that goes on from like the 1800s to that point. That's correct. So how do you, how do you go about slaughtering your neighbors? Okay. How do you go about and do it in an aggressive, in an aggressive, passionate way? How do you go about doing it? And the answer to that is that they became so technologically advanced at the time, math, sciences, now, I'm not saying math and science caused them to be aggressive. Yeah. They've always had that in their background, if you've studied okay. it. They've always the Prussian militaristic bearing. Um, but what occurred was that they forgot, by their lack of studies in the humanities, they forgot that the rest of the people around them were humans. Mm -hmm. They called them subhuman, untermension. Mm -hmm. They called them subhuman. Yeah. And if you read the first-hand accounts of some of these um, concentration guards and regular soldiers, 19-year-old 19 19-year-old soldiers, when they shot a, a defensive person, they wondered if they felt pain because they didn't view them as human. Yeah. All they knew about was their own country. They had a great understanding of their own country, but a failure to understand everybody around you and, and the other countrymen, mm -hmm. other countries, yeah. people in other countries. So the result of that was simply because that you had a, la you had a technologically advanced study that was weak in the humanities. Yeah. Therefore, they had, a, they had a view of themselves as being superior people, and they weren't. Mm -hmm. So that, and, and I think that's what happens. When I watch these interviews on TV and people ask you who was the, uh, who's the vice president of the United States and they have no idea, I mean, it takes everything for me not to just give them a scuff in the head, you know? <laughs> come yeah. on, <laughs> you know? I mean, come on, get with it. People don't who's the vice president of the United States? Who's the vice president? Mike Pence, right? All right there we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, but listen, it, it, it's, you know, I'm a child of the 60s. Okay. okay? And we had a vested interest in this country, and the reason being was because all my buddies and, and the child of the 60s were under threat of being drafted into an unpopular war. Yeah. So we were socially conscious of mm -hmm. it. So every day I would go and get the paper, but so would my buddies. I wasn't unique in that. Yeah. Everybody would go and read the paper. How many papers you read a day? Not many papers. Not no. many papers. People don't read papers today. Yeah. They just don't read papers. I, I think a, a, I should take it into my classroom. Mm -hmm. It was just, I, I would bring in the Pittsburgh Post because that every day I had it order. Yeah. Let's read what's going on in the world today, guys. Mm -hmm. Let's read it. I thought it was an, an, an a, 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 the greatest learning tool. 
but people don't even read it anymore. They're well, going out of business. I think the problem is that the nature of the media has changed drastically has. since the 60s and 70s. I mean, long gone are the great reporters like uh, Bob Woodward and yeah. uh, Walter Cronkite. You have a billion Walter Cronkites, up air apostrophes, people who can't see it on mm -hmm. the podcast, that um, are kind of selling sides, yes. you know? And that, I think, leads to people not being so interested in it. When you go, okay, well, why would I tune into the news when I'm just going to get fed the party line from whatever side it supports? Yeah. Correct. I'll Fox go news, online. CNN. Yeah. yeah, right. I'll go online and yeah. read a third-party report. But that, mm -hmm. I mean, I was just reading about um, some mass killings that were occurring, and at the time, most of the people in involved in that were getting their news from Facebook. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Facebook. Come on. Facebook. Yeah. I just listen. I loved reading the editorials in the papers today. Okay. I read the Pittsburgh paper. I read the Pittsburgh Tribune, the Post Gazette. At times, when I have time. I get the New York Times. I even listen. I, I'll even get the Newcastle News to follow up on local things. Mm -hmm. And and it, it, sometimes they write great editorials on national news and and international news. Mm -hmm. um, you know. I, let, let me give you another example. Um, if uh, when when we went to war against Iraq. Okay. That, that was probably the, the greatest debacle in American history. And we've had a lot of debacles. Yeah. That was a complete and total debacle. Okay. If you read the reasons today on, the, on, on us attacking Iraq, and if you read the Nuremberg trials, mm -hmm. there's no difference. Okay. There's no difference of what the German, what, how we hung those Germans mm -hmm. in, at the end of World War II and the reasons for it. Yeah. Now, they had crimes against humanity. A subpart of that was the war on the Jews. Okay. Okay? Now, obviously, we're not there. Yeah. But launching aggressive first strike, aggressive first strike war is what we did for uh, for make believe evidence. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, uh, and and the, and how does that happen? How does that happen? It's because people are not they're not schooled on what's going on. Okay. Because they don't take the time to read, and they don't study history. Okay. They don't study history. But you have a tremendous challenge in front of you. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what your challenge is. You're going to, you're going to get a, a history book because you're going to be a new teacher. Correct? Yeah. They're going to give you a text. Mm -hmm. I would tell you to scan it and then throw it away. Oh, yeah. I was not planning on using the textbook. Don't I think textbooks textbook. are ineffective. Yeah. You, you should have a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of books on, on specificity. Yeah. Specificity? How do you say that word? Specificity? Specificity. There we go. Yes, there you go. Um, but on, on specific points of history. For instance, yeah. if you're studying, if you're studying history, okay. if you're studying again, well, let's go to World War II again. All right. Okay. Let's go to World War II. If you're studying history, find out all the reasons why uh, World War II started. Not only are there enough books on the subject, as you well know, mm -hmm. there are also enough books on the subject on the German perspective of it. Yeah. You should be able to. Today, we're far apart. We're 75 years away from it. The idea to get a really understanding of Europe and World War II is to understand. What made millions of Germans do this? Yeah. What made them do that? So you have to, today you should teach it from both perspectives. Oh, no, I agree. Just one perspective. Teach what I really love about it is but I... But your textbook's not going to show No, it, they won't. And that's what I um, found, even like, let's look at younger generations. I think with the rise of clickbait articles and two-second videos, uh, very short attention spans. I myself am guilty of this. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of video evidence is amazing. There were propaganda films. Like, I was able to show all of Triumph of the Wills in one of my classes, and we talked about Did you propaganda. Yeah, yeah, we talked about the use it's of propaganda and demagoguery inside the class. Lenny Rivenstahl. Yeah. Rivenstahl. Yes, yeah. And 
that it, it's actually if you are a German in 1934, mm-hmm. that is going to make you put on a uniform. Yeah, Sorry, who, who was it? Um, oh, I forget the comedian. Charlie Jewish, Chaplin. Yeah, no, it was a more modern Jewish comedian. I think it was Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. He said he watched it and it made him want to put on a brown shirt. <laughs> That's how convincing it yeah. is. Yeah, and it really is. A con- we were we discussed it in the classroom. Mm-hmm. They said this is like, it makes you look like yeah. being a Nazi or a Hitler Youth was fun. Yes, it was patriotic. It, it was. A, I think it is the paramount example of propaganda. There, there's a difference. It, it was nationalism. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between patriotism and nationalism. Very true. Very true. It, it was nationalism. Okay. And but uh, you know what, what? What Hitler did, and we're on World War II, and there's so much broader topic than that. But what Hitler was able to do was to convince an entire nation that the Treaty of Versailles in World War One mm-hmm. was an, an unjust committed against the German people, and they they loved that. Yeah. You know, that was the whole thing. I mean, it stripped them of a lot of stuff. Stripping. But, you know, what everybody kind of forgets, and, and, I, and, and I did discuss one book with you. I don't know if you've read um, Pat Buchanan's book, An Unnecessary War. It's on my, it's on my shelf. You I didn't read, read it yet. you got to read it. Um, it. It'll make you really question why we even got involved. And I know that is uh, that is a cardinal sin today. Yeah. Because uh, we still have World War II veterans live, uh, uh, living, mm-hmm. and um, and if any of them are listening, they probably want to jump through their computer and yeah. strangle me right now. Well, if there's, World War II, agree, if, there's, if there's World War II yeah. survivors listening, I doubt they're going to be on the computer. You know, I, <laughs> but I, I'm not saying I agree. Yeah. But it is an in- compelling compelling argument. read that makes for interesting dialogue amongst mm-hmm. your students. Yeah. No, it definitely. Because will. they're not going to have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. It's too far removed from them. So they're going to have a better perspective of it. And they say, hey, you know what? Maybe they were right. Yeah. You know? Because what we do, it, Pat Buchanan makes the argument that we lost World War II. Mm-hmm. They're saying, How the, what? Well, first of all, w- w- we end up wedding with a, with, a, with a satanic creature that was more satanic than Hitler. Okay. And that was Joseph Stalin. All right. Joseph Stalin killed, Hitler killed 27 million Russians. Mm-hmm. Stalin killed more. Okay. He killed more of his own. Yeah. You know, Hitler told the truth the whole time of what he was going to do in Mein Kampf. Mm-hmm. Stalin lied the whole time, and okay. we believed him the whole time. And so at the end of the war, what did we do? What happened? What happened? The, the, the Iron Curtain fell. Okay. Half, the, half the world was communist, and the other half was, was a democracy. Mm-hmm. And then we went war by proxy. Yeah. You know, about, from 1945 to all the way to in the 80s, you know how many people were killed by war by proxy between the communist world and the, demo- and the democratic world? Well over a million people yeah. were killed because of that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the answer to that? Pat Buchanan's argument is that the Polish quarter was Germany, if you remember the start of that war. Okay. England, France should have let them take it mm-hmm. because he'd have just fought Russia. Yeah. He'd have fought Russia. That's his argument. I'm not saying I agree with mm-hmm. it. You may not agree with yeah. it either. But he believes that they'd have just fought Russia and they'd have bled each other white. Hmm. That's what that was his It's thought. an interesting argument. It's an I don't know if I necessarily agree with you. I'm not saying I yeah. agree with it. But it makes that's what makes compelling teaching. That's what you bring to your students. Instead of getting that, that textbook and say, okay, read that textbook, throw them an unnecessary war. Yeah. You guys got a week to read this. They were talking about it. Yeah. It makes, that's what makes education. Different opinions. That's what makes Discussion. education interesting. Then they got to read it. They have an understanding of, of World War II. Basically, they mm-hmm. should, which you'll give them. Now you have a dialogue. Yeah. They have to articulate their position. They have to defend their position. They have to write a critical analysis. That's, I love that stuff. That's education. Yeah. There it is. Now I give, um, 
I do this one thing where I summer camp, and they always make me make these packets for it. And they wonder why they always put taught by so and so. I always put facilitated by. They're like, why do you put facilitated by? I'm like, because I'm not the sole dispenser of knowledge. They're discussing. Yeah, it. They're, they're talking. Right. I'm you, the less I, the least it. amount I talk, the better. They right. should be doing all of the work. The, no, le- you, the person who does the work is the one who does the learning. You got it. You got it. Now, now, let, let's take for instance what we just said: how, okay. how to run a classroom, right? Or, yeah. The way you would want to do it. Mm-hmm. Just the way you give them that book, you read it, write about it. Okay. 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 Now, a kid who's coming in that class, he's a junior, your sophomore, whatever you have. Right. He has no understanding of that. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to throw him the a, a, a book on on the Russian perspective of World War II, and the second one written by Pat Buchanan, All right. right? Now his let his 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 knowledge goes up sky high. Mm-hmm. How do you measure that on a PSSA test? Well, you don't. <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't, they're not even testing history yeah. at all. Yeah, and give me that kid every single time. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking to hire a kid in industry, give me that kid yeah. every time. Every single time, except the ones who's, who's taking a multiple choice test. Because he's comparing different arguments. Yeah. He's looking for evidence. He's really right. thinking. Yeah, he's thinking the whole time, and he's getting an understanding of the other side. Yeah. He's getting an understanding of the other side, and, he, and he's got to have a counter-argument to that. Mm-hmm. So it, that's, that's the essence of education, and it can't be learned. I've said it a thousand times. Education, your, your sense of learning, cannot be learned. Yeah. The greatest teachers inspire you to learn more. That's what they do. Yeah. They inspire you to learn more. So that's, that's what we should be in the business. You're very fortunate. You're, you're embarking on what I think is the most impactful career that we have today. Yeah. Other than the priesthood. I think the priesthood, when done right, mm-hmm. is an impactful career. I well, we won't get into that. I did. No. I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's a controversial subject. Yeah. I said if, when it's done right. When it's done right. Okay. And, but uh, education is, um, is an impactful career um you don't do it for pay- paycheck although the paycheck has gotten better yeah uh, but you don't do it for a paycheck you do it for uh, 10 years later when a guy comes up to you and says you know you really made a difference mm-hmm. in my life you know that'll bring tears to your eyes believe me yeah, for sure so so I, now i have some questions about the education system because you're yeah. far you're a veteran so i'm a seasoned veteran yeah <laughs> the main question i i'll start each i have quite a few um, first thing is, I've been thinking more and more about this because I have a friend, and she went for elementary education, yeah. right? And um, she's talking about a particular incident. I don't want to go into many details, but it involves uh, children uh, behaving inappropriately, whatever. And uh, she was completely surprised by it, completely shocked. In a classroom? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was immediately shocked that I'm like, why are more elementary ed teachers not trained or could be licensed developmental psychologists yeah. like because well, that's yeah. important yeah, yeah that's is. the whole social aspect yeah you're you're and it's kind of you know i didn't lacking. have those classes till graduate school yeah and i should have had it in undergraduate school definitely you know you have to people think that they can walk into a classroom and teach a classroom i got news for you go into a sixth grade class with 24 kids mm-hmm. and try to manage that classroom good you luck will pull your hair out yeah you can't you have to have classroom management skills Part of it is the psychology of learning. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? And another subject that teachers should be taking in order to, to learn good classroom management skills, they should be taking acting classes. Classes. Yeah. You're laughing. No, you're keeping should. a straight face. Yeah, you should. The reason being is because you're on stage every single day. Mm-hmm. And your character and your personality is what's going to keep their attention. You have to have inflections in your voice. You have to know what to say. You have to know how to say it. Kids, let, let's, I, I was at Newcastle High School. Okay. okay? Your mom went to Newcastle High School. Newcastle High School is a tough place to be. 
However, the kids, and, and I say this all the time, and it's a cliche, they didn't care how much you know, they, they wanted to know how much you cared. Mm -hmm. As soon as you demonstrated that, you can capture them. But what they wanted to do is they wanted to know how, how well you knew your subject, but they also, you couldn't, you couldn't scare them. Those, th those are tough kids. Yeah. So if they're going to be loud, if you're going to be loud back to them, mm -hmm. it's what they see every single day. Yeah. It's what you see every single day. The key to classroom management skills, like you said, the key to management skills is to show them and demonstrate to them that you care a lot, that what we're doing here is important, and you have to, you have to act that. But more importantly, if they're not paying attention, if they're misbehaving, they're disappointing you. Yeah. And you would be shocked. The toughest kid doesn't want to disappoint you when he loves you. Yeah. He does not want to disappoint mm -hmm. you. And it works. I've seen it. took a long time for me to do that. Yeah. You know, I grew up in the 60s when we paddled kids. And mm -hmm. It came to attention. So when I first started teaching back in 1978, I had to paddle. Yeah. That's what I learned. Mm -hmm. when I, but then I quickly look, realized that wasn't the way to go. Yeah. That wasn't the way to go. I was a horrible teacher in 1978, 79, but I believe that I got better as I got older. And that's what you typically hear. Yeah. It's always like, I think it's like by the fourth or fifth year, teacher will go, I should start, try doing this, and then yeah. they kind of they kind of figure it out. You're, you'll learn that. Yeah, you'll learn that. You know, they'll uh, you know at first, no matter what school you're in, kids are kids. Yeah. They're 17 year old kids, um, and they're but a lot of the kids that come in, they won't have any interest in history. But as soon as you demonstrate real knowledge mm -hmm. and knowledge that affects them, then they're they're going to pay attention, especially yeah. when you can tell stories behind it. And, mm -hmm. and I've sat with you before. I know you can do that. No, I got stories. <laughs> yeah, you got stories. It, the, the problem is that, you know, today, you know, it, it, and that was principal with the high school, and I would walk into history class, and they're talk, talking about the Peloponnesian Wars. Okay, mm -hmm. that's great. Okay, let's scan it, and let's go to the Persian Gulf War. Okay. Because it hit home today. Yeah. The world today is determined by the last 100 years, 150 years. Mm -hmm. So the Peloponnesian War is neat. It's an understanding of, of, of past events. But what impact does that have today? Now, if, for instance, and, and you have to go back so, uh, so far. If, you want, if, you want to, if you're studying World War II, okay. you have to understand World War I. Mm -hmm. If you're understanding World War I, you have to go back and you have to understand the Franco-Prussian War okay. of 1870, 1871. Yeah. Okay? You, it, it connects. Mm -hmm. But do we have to go all the way back to the Peloponnesian War? The kids are going to go like this. You know? yeah. They are. I mean, you can go tell put the, the the story of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony, and mm -hmm. they might have some interest if you yeah. have some background on that. But um, other than that, I, I think we we're, when we do ancient history, I'm not so sure that's real relevant today. Okay. I'm not suggesting that we don't teach it. Mm -hmm. I'm suggesting that we got to get through it quicker. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, another subject that I want to touch on, and I just I wrote uh, wrote down because we we mentioned priests. Yeah. We should be teaching religion. Then you're saying, what, what kind of religion? All religions mm -hmm. as an elective. Yeah. You know, if you go to the high school, they have uh, these work cooperation things. So when a high school kid is done taking all the required courses, especially juniors and seniors, they leave school at 11 o'clock and they go to work collaboration, whatever they're supposed to be. You yeah. know how many guys actually got a job? How many? None. None? Zero. They're out screwing around. Yeah. They go down a wide, they're lifting weights from me, and they're doing things like that. So... They should be taking electives, force electives on them. They're 17 and 18 years mm -hmm. old. Teach them. They have to take an elective. What's the, what's the elective? Okay. The biggest thing is, you, you hear this all the time, especially from conservatives. The schools began to deteriorate whenever you took religion out of the schools. Well, that's not true. 
because every single day the kids stand up and they can sign and meditate if they so choose mm -hmm. in the in the way that they feel most comfortable with. Okay. Okay. So, but what should schools do? What are the three most fundamental most fundamental forces in our society today? It's economics, it's sex, and it's religion. Okay. If you go through it, those are the three most fundamental forces in our in, in our world today. Mm -hmm. I agree religion. with one of those. I won't say which. Yeah, uh, that, that, <laughs> that's fine. But um, if you take a look at religion, okay, the whole Middle East, everything we hear today, and for you to understand the world, it, it's coming out of the Middle East, right? Religious fundamentalist societies are impervious to Western values. Okay. Okay, fact of life. All right. History, history 101 rule. Okay. We don't know it. All right. We still go and intervene in all mm -hmm. those places and try to make them democracies. Mm -hmm. And then when we leave, they laugh at us and they go back to their re religious beverage uh, support. You know, okay. that's, what that's where they're going. Mm -hmm. So uh, what should we do? Well, why are we not teaching as electives Catholicism, Judaism, the Islamic faith? Why are we not teaching it? Mm -hmm. You don't have to take the subject, yeah. but you have a choice to, as an elective to teach it. What does it do? Am I telling you that you have to be a Catholic? Am I telling you that you have to embrace Judaism? No. I'm giving you uh, an understanding of what it is so you understand what the world is. You know, I think a cross, like, cultural analysis of religion would really come in handy. Absolutely. And definitely in navigating today's society, I think you could I, learn a lot. I think it's essential. As long as it's done as objectively as possible, yeah, you know. I, I, I really do. I think it's so important that they do that. People, like, the people are Catholics, mm -hmm. okay? We're majority Catholics here. But very few people really know the history of Catholicism. Yeah. It, and, and it's a fascinating history, how it evolved from... Uh, the, the times of Jesus Christ to what it is today. And I think it's compelling history because even though, you know, when I said ancient history it has no impact, it does. Religion does have an impact because it's still used today. Study Judaism. Study the Islamic faith. You know, that there's different sects of Islamic faith and some of it is, is extreme, mm -hmm. but others, part of it is not. So then, you know, when, when your Islamic neighbor moves in, you don't think that it's uh, Muhammad Atta and the extremists, so you have an understanding of exactly what their faith is. And and I think it's up for the schools to do that. Okay. That's my opinion, you know? That's my opinion. Yeah, schools are socializing agents, definitely. They're socializing agents, you know? Why are you not teaching religion? Plus, what it does is it, it breaks down that 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 part of, uh, of the conversation that says, oh, you can't teach religion in school. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't. Yeah. You can't. You've got to teach a lot of different religions, and you serve it as, a, as an elective. Yeah. I think it'd be, I think that makes our school better. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. Instead of them going out and go for a co-op where they're not going to work, yeah. make them teach, take a religion, and they can get college credit for it. No, I would agree. Now, yeah. something else I don't know why it's not taught in um, uh, schools is think about how awkward your life was when you are in high school, how oh, confusing yeah. it is, how, how weird of a time it is to it be... Is. A teenager developing whatever why why do they not have any kind of um class in like psychology it's always like a mm -hmm. really what they're going it felt through. like a it felt like a very um elite class to get into it's always paired with a college and you have to have three teachers sign off yeah. if you want to take psychology it seemed very prohibited i feel like it should be much more common and done at a much younger age i feel yeah. like eighth grade would be a perfect time to yeah. introduce psychology and they're always confused with uh social science yeah. to bring into seventh and eighth grade it's like this weird did, did they, transition um, point i'm curious is that what they you went to slippery rock right mm -hmm. and did did your education courses explain that to you did they tell you that no or you just kind of gravitated towards that yeah but you're exactly right and the reason being is because high school kids and i and 
and, and I've dealt with them for 33 years. The things that they go through, they think they're going through alone. Mm -hmm. and, it's a, and, and it's a form of weakness for them to share that with their closest friends. They won't do it. Yeah. But they'll come and tell you as an adult. When, they, when you shut the door and they, wanna, they need somebody to talk to, they tell you. And, and it's amazing to me that, that and I tell them that, um, what you're going through is what all your peers are going through. Mm -hmm. and, and they don't, they didn't yeah. know that. They don't no. realize that. They think they're on an island and they're going through it themselves. But it affects how they learn. It affects their, their mood. Yeah. It affects everything. Yeah. And sometimes they, they lack confidence then. Then they lack confidence, and, and then that has tentacles everywhere. Yeah. You, know, you, you go backwards socially. Uh, it hurts you academically. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it would be important to do that. Um, uh, and, again, you know, but you, you, you see that the highest, the highest achievers academically in, uh, in high school are those kids who mature quicker than others mm -hmm. for the most part. Okay. Mm -hmm. If and if where'd you go to high school? Oh, just Union. You went to Union. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a little. Uh, yeah. That was a smaller Small. school, so you probably didn't see it as much. But mm -hmm. I saw more, you know, in, in Newcastle. You have high a larger school. sample size. We had a larger sample size. That um, the more the more mature kids were the they weren't necessarily smarter than that. Yeah. They were just more mature. That's why I think mindfulness should be something that is taught. I think you can get that through psychology. Mm -hmm. Show that this is how people develop. You're right. going through a stage, and you will continue to yeah. go through stages until you reach adulthood and then continue to grow as a person from there. Just show students that they're not alone. Right. And then you could focus on, you know, yes. the content. And, and, and you're so conscious of that, and, and I know you're going to make a great educator, and um, I'm going to be the mayor, and we're going to try to get you back here. Yeah, bring me back. <laughs> yeah, we'll take you here at Newcastle High School. And I'm glad you just said mayor, because now mm -hmm. your experience is an educator. Yes. And you're running for mayor. Yeah. What do you see as the overlap between a local government and, and, a, school and a school district? I, I, listen, I, I think that's probably why I gravitated towards that. Towards that. Mm -hmm. I've always had a great in Obviously, as a historian, I've always had a great interest in, in public policy and government. But um, today... The fact that we have limited resources and a declining tax base, there is no reason in the world that you cannot wed and merge what the school district and the city does. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think, well, you have two different objectives. You do, but you share a lot of the same type of issues and problems that together you can you you can manage and you can handle. Yeah. Um, but the 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 attributes and the characteristics. That I that I learned being in a school district are the exact same same characteristics and attributes that I believe would make a a, a good mayor. Yeah, I'm convinced of that. Um, plus the fact, and and I know this is a cliche, and, and this might upset people as well, but I've also had a, a strong athletic background, okay. and that makes you super competitive no mm -hmm. matter how, and it never leaves you. The problem is you get older and you can't compete, but you still have that competitive background. Yeah, um, and and I think that that is also a strong attribute mm -hmm. as well because in given this the challenges of not only our schools but also the challenges of our city i think you have to be all ultra competitive and you have to really go after things and not quit yeah so not quit yeah not quit hmm. the winston churchill have said that yeah never surrender never, exactly never surrender keep going keep going don't surrender don't quit don't quit no, the, and that's something I always try to impart on people when they're like, man, you, this podcast is really cool. You know, mm -hmm. I want to start one of these, but it's, it takes forever. And there was this great quote from this guy, Dan Carlin. He does a history podcast. And mm -hmm. he said, things open up in ways you can't imagine. It does. Simply because you did something. Yes. And you keep on doing that something yeah. and things will open up even more. 
I wish I could impart that on students that want to quit, you know, that want to yeah. give up. They just feel but like But you can have that opportunity. Done. Yeah, you You can have that opportunity. You're going to have, when, when you go in your classrooms, like when I went to school, you're going to have an objective in mind, mm -hmm. okay? And, and you've got to stay on that path to accomplish that objective, okay? But there are going to be things that happen that are going to throw you off. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to keep, you, you have to address that, but you have to continue going on that road to you, to, to you accomplish that objective. Yeah. Um, and you'll find that in the classroom. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the week, you'll realize, wow, look, I've done this. I've made the impact here on this kid. I made an impact mm -hmm. on that one because you've had clear objectives and you stayed on that path. It's the same thing when you're running a school uh, and it's the same thing when you're running a, a city. It's the, same, it's the same characteristics. And you'll find out, too, that a, as you begin your educational career, you'll end up getting an administrative certificate yeah. because you want your impacts to be larger mm -hmm. than your classroom. Um, because you'll just gravitate towards that. I can see that in you. Yeah. You know, uh, because it, it, I, I have to tell you, principals and administrators of schools, uh, some some people are just born to be a teacher, and that's what they do. Yeah. But then there's other people who you could see need to be an administrator as well. Okay. You know? So you'll discover that. Yourself. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you will. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Oh, I could do this. I can do this all day. I mean, I can't imagine that we've been here doing this for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. Yeah, 45. And, you know, and, and I have to tell you real quick that it, it, it was very difficult for me to leave my school mm -hmm. and retire. Uh -huh. I, it was really hard for me to do that. But what really was, uh, was a double sorrow for me was when I also had to quit teaching at, uh, at Butler College because okay. it paid into the same, uh, it paid into the same um, retirement system. So yeah. I had to retire from both. Okay. And I actually went to Butler to see if I could teach for nothing, and it was against their union yeah. rules to do it. So, um, well, what I made you ultimately leave? Step yeah, down? Just yeah. You why did I? Why did I step down? I, I stepped down at the age of fifty-seven. Yeah. Okay. And and I was a young, still young man, mm -hmm. still able to do it. Um, I had uh, a number of major issues with the way education was taught. Okay. Mainly, I I could not uh, emphatically, and and I could not passionately embrace the PSSA testing. Okay. I could not continue saying that this is the key to our success on the PSSA scores. Mm -hmm. And I saw that um, uh, the bar was going up, and, and even though our improvements and our scores were going up, I knew eventually that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And I urged uh, uh, the leaders to be to uh, to get on their pedestal and say, hey, look, you know, this is not an indication of how well we're doing because mm -hmm. we were making an average yearly, um, adequate yearly progress. Yeah. Uh, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And, and I, I actually got on my soapbox and said it as well. But I just could not. I didn't like the direction it was going. Yeah. I, I really didn't. And so I, I decided that rather than me, um, rather than me uh, uh, really stirring the pot and being um, insubordinate, mm -hmm. it was probably best for me to leave at that time. And I, I visualized that I would probably do something else in yeah. education. Um, but I immediately decided that I was... Uh, uh, I, I was very upset with, with what was happening into our city, mm -hmm. um, and I thought I could make a, a major impact in to better this community. Yeah. So all of my endeavors and, and all of my thought and everything that I've I've done since 2012 was to was to do yeah. what I'm doing now. You'd be completely fooling yourself though if you didn't think that what you're doing now plays in education. Oh, Environment is crucial yeah. to education. There has to be some sort of communication between home and between the school and where's the home but in the environment, in the city. Thomas, I have to tell you this. I ran for office four years ago as mayor. I mm -hmm. lost by 26 votes. It is literally, the way to campaign today is literally light years away from it was four years ago. Mm -hmm. Light years away. The social media market has exploded. Mm -hmm. it, now, it was probably there 
prior to, but nobody was using it mm -hmm. the way they're using it now. Um, uh, Barack Obama did very, very successfully. Yeah. But a lot of local, a lot of local um, people running for office were not using it. Now, um, what's happened four years later today is exactly what you said. Now we have a source of media that people ex know exactly who you are, mm -hmm. and it's an educational tool. Yeah. I can tell you, I can sit, stand here and say, look, we need to wed the school district with city government, and I can give you my philosophy on education. Yeah. So, yes, it's essential. And, and my word and my message is getting out there. Mm -hmm. And people have a complete understanding of who they're voting for, yeah. who they're supporting. And in the school district, they have a complete understanding of who their administrators are mm -hmm. and who their superintendents are. So the social media that we have now is essential, essential for that. Yeah, and I think, and again, I think this is where it's even more important for a history education, a critical analysis to look at different sources because there's an unprecedented access to information, mm -hmm. but a lot of times information, you could not be so sure where it's coming from. You know, I, there's a billion people that are highly educated because of YouTube, but yes. the YouTube videos, the sources may not be so clear. The people that are making Everybody the videos and propaganda, interest. there's always bias and agenda. Well, you know that because you're a book reader. Yeah. I know that. So when you read a book on, on a history subject, mm -hmm. you know exactly who that author is, yeah. where he's writing from, and the time period that he's running, writing yeah. from. So you know where his slant is. Yeah. This is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. YouTube and all these social media, it's the same thing. Who's doing the social media? What are they saying? Where are they doing this from? And what's their slant? Yeah. They have a slant. And and you can't let it you can't let it influence you because you have to have your own mind and your own background yeah. to it. Um, but when you read books, you learn that. Yeah. You learn that. And it's amazing to me that people don't read books. If you come to my house, I have literally a thousand books yeah. sitting in my bed. I'm telling you, it's a thousand just sitting there. Yeah, well, no, I am. Um, I, <laughs> my girlfriend's son comes over and goes, Did you read all yeah. those books? Yeah. He goes, You're boring. I tried to do <laughs> ebooks for a while, but I couldn't get into it. I, I, need the, I need the hard copy book. And it started because I heard a John Waters quote, the crazy film director. He said, If you go home with someone and they don't have books, don't sleep with them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to remember that. Yeah. I like that. So I, like that. I keep books on my shelf now. <laughs> I told you sex is a powerful force. Oh, yeah. I, I told you I, I agree with that. one thing. <laughs> oh, this is tremendous. Boy. Yeah. No, hey. hey, I really appreciate you coming on. Hey, I'd love to do it again sometimes. Yeah, no, thank, thank you so much. much. It was really enjoyable. Yep. Thank you. There you have it, folks. That's great. And there you have it. If you like what you heard here, Please make sure to check out our website, dirtyhistorypod.com. It has everything you would need about the podcast, an about page, footnotes for every episode. It's all free, of course. But if you feel that this show is a valuable educational resource, please support us on patreon.com slash dirtyhistory. Whether it's one month, $2, $3 a month, whatever it is, it's essentially buying me a cup of coffee on the street. It's a one-time investment or a monthly investment, whatever you want to do, for you to have a say in what we do on the show if you value the show as an educational resource. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PodDirty on Twitter and then uh, the Dirty History Podcast on Instagram. You can follow us and keep up to date on all the updates and get fun facts and everything dirty and everything history. The show is brought to you by me, the host, Thomas Thompson, and uh, our in-house renaissance man, Woodrow Cower, who does all the artwork and uh, a lot of uh, writing for the show. We appreciate all the help we get even from uh, listeners like you. So thank you again. I'm Thomas Thompson, and this has been Dirty History.